I'm Brax McCoy. On this episode of the Brax McCoy Show, we're talking to Drew Holden about the Fauci email scandal, the coronavirus, some of the stuff that we learned throughout. We got into some other political scandals uh, that have gone on that have been forgotten with all of this stuff happening in Afghanistan and abroad. It's kind of easy to, to lose track of just how much has really happened in 2021 domestically. And I thought it'd be really cool to put this out there, kind of remind you guys just how big of a mess we're really in, both domestically and abroad. The next episode, I'm going to try to get off of politics because Frankly, it's getting a little bit boring, and I don't, you know, I don't want to bore you guys with politics all the time. But this one was fun, and we get to make fun of Fauci's inability to throw, which is pretty fun too. So check this out, and I want to say thanks again to Drew for coming on. I'm Braxton McCoy, and I'm here with Drew Holden, freelance commenter. I mean, he's got bylines all over the place. Uh, Daily Caller. Uh, what, where have you, you've written for like everybody. Um, yeah, these days, I guess that uh, New York times, national review, Washington post, federalist, daily yeah, beast. You're one of those journos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like one of the few that I don't I mean, hate. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, for a long time I ran away from the label journal, not because I'm like, Oh, who journos? Um, but mostly because I don't, I don't know that it's quite fair. Right. Most of what I'm doing is, like news analysis and commentary and a mm. lot of people will munge those sorts of things together. But God, I just, I think it's different, right? Any, anytime, anytime I pull up a piece of analysis on a CNN or a Washington post, I look at it, I'm like, okay, what I'm reading is opinion commentary. It's not news. <laughs> at the end of the day, all the things that I write, I, I try and make sure they're well-researched, well-cited, everything else, but they're, they're one man's take, one man's opinion. Is that what, um, is that what that Jordan Satchel or whatever was doing before as well, before the COVID thing? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he, so he's, he's got what a newsletter, I think now. Um, okay. But yeah, I think, but I think what he does too is a little bit closer to journalism. Like oh, I think okay. he's, I think he's actually investigating things and breaking stories. I think he, I think he bills himself as an investigative journalist. And I think that that sounds, that sounds right. Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas, I was, I was, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying at the end of the day, I'm like, a, <laughs> I, I, I try and be like the memory of the internet, right? Like there, there's other people breaking stories and I'm talking about why they don't make any sense. But that to me feels a little different than, than going out and doing the real, you know, shoe leather, you know, buck kicking journalism. Sure. And the, the only reason I bring it up is because it's been, it's been interesting to see how things have shifted. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, people like us spend so much time on Twitter, but somebody like Jordan Satchel or I, I apologize. I'm sure I'm just butchering his name right now, but <laughs> Um, he, like, I don't, I don't know if there's someone that's, uh, should be feeling more smug than that guy right now, you know, because he's basically been right about COVID this entire time and more particularly Fauci. And then you yeah. look at like, what's happened with you. You've become like this thread master on Twitter and like, you just drop these bombs on CNN. It's like 14 tweets of just them arguing yeah. with themselves, basically <laughs> <laughs> like over a year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, listen, I try and say I think another big, a big difference between me and somebody like Jordan is that I try not to make predictions. Right. And some of that's just, I mean, that's just probably internet cowardice. Right. I, and part of it is I just don't want to make predictions that, that, that go bust. Um, but, but part of it too is, is, you know, I think you're right. He's, he's made a lot of calls. He's definitely put his neck out there. He's taken an enormous amount of flack. 
Um, and like he and I even got in recently into a dust up about about something tied tied to, to vaccines. Well, did you and at really? the end of the day, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. It, it's interesting too. I mean, this is obviously I'm, I'm throwing my conservative bona fides maybe to the wind a little bit here, but I'm not. I'm just not as as skeptical of um, of, of private companies using vaccine passports. Like, if you want to take a cruise and the cruise says you got to have a vaccine passport, at the end of the day, I'm like, whatever. Fine. Like that to me doesn't seem like the end of the world. Am I going to necessarily use them? Uh, I don't know. Like, might I avoid bars that do stuff like that? Maybe. But at the end of the day, like, I don't, I don't get my, I don't get too worked up about those sorts of things. And so I said that the other day on Twitter, and he took umbrage with that idea. <laughs> and listen, I get it. But at the end of the day, like, I think his his point, and I think it's it's well taken by me and some of the other. I don't, know, I don't want to call myself a rhino, but certainly some of those, some of those a little more to the left types. Like, I I, I think that. The, um, the, the threat of the intersection of big business and particularly big tech and government, like that nexus is scary. And I think, I think people of good faith, particularly conservatives, have good reason to be scared of that. And I've often found myself a little bit late to the game of being scared. So this could just be another one of those. I don't know. But at the time, you know, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm that frog in the proverbial boiling water, but I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I can see your side. I, I'm definitely closer to him, but especially since I, I think that government and big business intersects way more often than we think. Like in these totally. Fauci email leaks, there are he's mm. communicating directly with Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I mean, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> like, like yeah. Yeah. why, why is he emailing Mark Zuckerberg and they're coordinating like, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but that what they were trying to do is like roll out, you know, messaging. And they're coordinating right. behind the scenes. This is this is absolute insanity to me. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair, and and I think that one of the things too is that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of this is kind of a soft power sort of thing, right? Like even if Facebook and the U.S. government don't have some sort of formal alignment on some of these things, I think one of one of the big things, one of the, the big ways we saw this play out is with the you know with the lab leak stuff, right? And that it it very quickly went from even though the US government is themselves investigating the idea that the coronavirus could have originated in a lab in Wuhan, saying that is verboten. Uh, and so the CDC is going to come out and say that Fauci is going to come out and say that and wouldn't you know it, then Facebook is jettisoning anyone who wants to say it and Twitter is banning accounts for saying these sorts of things. And so the coordination, even if it's not formal, even if it's not publicly recognized. Like, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it goes a lot deeper than a lot of us care to admit. Yeah. And the, the big problem is that it, this trend has been clear for at least a year now, like throughout the entire pandemic, it's been, you could get banned or pulled for saying something. uh, And then like a month later, that's, it's proven that that was all accurate all, all along, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think to me too, it's there's there was such a like I understand. I think I'm, I'm doing my best to empathize with the people who are calling the shots, and obviously, in my view, call them wrong. But um, I, I can understand the hesitancy around um, wanting to make sure that the information that was circulating among the public was as good as possible. But I do think there's a certain kind of bureaucratic, technocratic mentality that says, and right now, me as an individual in a particular moment in time have access to this truth. And I am confident that the thing that I have access to is the truth. And boy, has that mentality (laughs) been absolutely blown to smithereens, right? I mean, like, 
you, you, yeah. you know, I've done, I've done threads on like 80 of these, I guess, at this point, but everything from, and, and this came up in, in Fauci's emails, the old view on masks, the old view on, on the hydroxychloroquine, like uh, the, the old view of the Wuhan lab leak, like so many of these theories that got castigated as conspiracy theories, fringe theories, uh, you know, like we talked about with Cotton, like fanning the embers of a conspiracy that has been repeatedly debunked by experts, like all of these things that were that were thrown away so quickly have barely a year later come true. And if that doesn't force a reckoning in the way that we wrestle with these sorts of things, this idea of misinformation, disinformation, my God, we're hopeless. We're absolutely hopeless. I think that the reason that they're allowing these Fauci emails to come out right now, I understand that they were FOIA'd, but we all know that they can they can you know, yeah. drag their feet as much as they want and hide. Oh, whatever yeah. they want. So I think the reason that these are coming out right now is it's becoming way too clear to the, you know, the average guy, even to normies at this point that, mm-hmm. you know, they have been, let's say uh, less than truthful with us for at least 13 months now. Um, yeah. And some of that has been revealed in Fauci's emails. Like, yeah, like you, you say, the, the mass thing, there's a there's an email from Fauci early on. Now, let me let me caveat this with th- these are all so fresh that I don't even I don't have a good way to tell what's real and what's not of these emails. So maybe this is not a real email, but there's one email where he's talking about how masks really don't work. They're not really effective. Mm-hmm. And this is like a year ago that he wrote this thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, but but the the interesting thing too about that one is, which I, as far as I understand it is is legit, um, is that the like Fauci was saying back in what was this maybe May of twenty twenty, um, he he was saying pretty definitively that uh, the that people shouldn't buy masks, that there's no point in panic buying masks, and that they don't work, and then at some point after that, the viewpoint changed and it's still not clear to me why exactly that happened who exactly benefited from that like and again going back to jordan like this is something that he was he's been shouting from the rooftops since even before may like ever since the the conversation about whether or not masks make any sense like i don't think there's actually all that much compelling evidence that masks are a helpful way to reduce the spread of coronavirus like i don't think we ever actually got there and i think there's actually quite a lot of evidence to the contrary but at some point, the narrative changed and the masks were everywhere. And we had all of a sudden, like the plexiglass shield, which again, don't do anything. Like they're right, all of these right. different components of hygiene theater, like they made their way in. And at some point, like, and this is the thing that seemed to happen with Fauci, like it seems like in many of these cases, the, the narrative on what was true and what we should do about it changed. And then Fauci followed, right? Like at some point, like Fauci said, hey, masks don't do, don't do diddly. This isn't going to help anybody. And then at some point, for some reason, the narrative shifts. And then Fauci is like, wear a mask. And if you have two masks, wear two masks. Remember that? Like, we were, yeah, I do. we were supposed to wear do- double masks. There are people walking their dog outside in D.C. with two masks on, <laughs> like lunatics. And it's it, it, like, it just, it, it, at, at no point, at least in my mind, did that ever get reconciled with the actual science that underlines any of this stuff. And that, and Fauci's emails make all that pretty clear. Right. And there are people that have fairly large profiles like Tom Woods, for example, who have actually Mm -hmm. been aggregating data and putting this out for months now. I mean, he was he was he's got this thing where he puts these charts out and he'll say, "Okay," and there's no dates or or there's just dates on the charts, but it doesn't tell you when, you know, mandates were were put into Mm -hmm. place. And it says, "Okay, you point on here where mass mandates were put in and you can't like it's it's impossible. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like. 
this was the whole thing with Texas when they when they um, relaxed their policy and, and made it so that stores could still require masks, but the state wasn't doing it anymore. Everyone said, like Beto O'Rourke went on every single one of the shows and said he has signed a death warrant for the people of Texas. And then their cases kept going down and cases kept going down everywhere. Like what I would love to see, uh, and maybe, maybe Woods has this somewhere, but what I would love to see is, is there a way to control for the important variables and look at whether or not required masking did anything? Like, I, like can, can we say, we're, you know, outside of the, you know, the margin of error that masks helped, that masks benefited anyone? Because I'm far from sold they did anything at all. And I don't think like at no point, it seems like I think part of the problem is no one's really a lot of people. I shouldn't say no one. A lot of people on the left are not interested in that data. They have no concern about whether or not any of this stuff actually worked. It was it's it was signaling. It's always been signaling. Right. Right. And you can take it a step further. And the same is true of the shutdowns and or lockdowns, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. Same thing. Uh, Woods has done some stuff with those with charts with those as well. And you can't you cannot tell you cannot tell a difference. And in fact, like now with Texas and Florida opening up, um, you could you could almost make an argument that, you know, I, I don't want to take it too far, but it does look like maybe shutdowns made things worse. And like when you have somebody like Beto O'Rourke going around you know, saying you're all going to die. It's like, uh, shut up, dude. You go to New Mexico yeah. and eat, eat mud. <laughs> you're a mud eater. Yeah. Like, I'm not taking health <laughs> advice from a guy that freaking yeah, eats exactly. mud. <laughs> a good life, a, a good life principle to hold. Yeah. Yeah. My kids do that yeah, too. I mean, we have to like beat it out of their <laughs> exactly. hands, you know? That's what the, and that's probably the last time anyone should have any defense in doing it. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I think that, it's they've had a couple of studies i remember i read one that said that uh, that worldwide it saved like a hundred million lives or something i remember i looked at it and i was like (laughs) this seems like this this seems so far from believable right and like i don't know man i didn't i didn't go through the whole i I didn't go through the whole study but i remember i looked at it and i was like okay and and i think part of it is we're gonna just need some time where we can do a whole bunch of studies because i've seen probably two or three that I've read, I'm sure there's been tons and tons more, but I've seen probably two or three that come to very different results, right? There's a Wall Street Journal op-ed I remember a couple of months ago because someone beat me to the punch. I was going to write this piece and someone else wrote it. And I was like, nah, nah whatever. Um, but they, their, their whole point was the lockdown didn't work. The lockdown didn't help. And actually what it did was, was damaging. Um, and I think that when you control for all the variables you need to, and you look at all the other externalities, right? When you, when you look at potential code, cause I'm sympathetic to the idea that maybe lockdown save lives. I don't know if it's true, but I'm sympathetic that it could be. And so let's say that it is for the sake of argument. If you can control, if you can control for that, and then you can also look at the number of overdose deaths that happened more beyond what we would have expected in a non-pandemic year. If you look at um, the number of cancers that hadn't been diagnosed that lead to avoidable fatalities five or 10 years down because everyone wasn't going to the doctor because we were all in lockdown. If you start to look at all those things, and again, this is going to take years to do it. If you look at the other thing too, is if you look at increases in obesity and the number of deaths that are caused by increases in obesity or alcoholism or all these other factors, it sure seems reasonable to me that any of the lives that may have been saved from the lockdown aren't necessarily going to outweigh the deaths that are pretty directly attributable to the lockdown. 
Right. And with those those deaths of despair, as I've heard them called before that you're talking about, there's a, another factor is that those are younger people and the people that right. are dying of COVID. You know, you get, it's just, just it's not just apples to apples or whatever. I, I hate that expression, but yeah, it's, it's not an equal comparison. You know, the people that are dying of this are for the most part older or have some serious complications and the people that die in these deaths of despair, you know, generally don't short of maybe some mental illness and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that sounds right to me, too. And I think, you know, it, it is interesting. This is one of the things I keep going back to with the school closures, too, is that there's an interesting sort of game of intergenerational ethics that gets played at this, right? Like, there's another universe, I think, in which we play things out so that life goes on for people under 50 or 60 or wherever you want to draw the line normally. And everyone's six, called 65 and up. All of the nursing homes are locked down. All the senior homes are locked down. All the retirees are told not to leave their house. And if they want to, they can, whatever. But like we make a really concerted effort to keep the people most at risk that we can control for, the elderly, keep them in one place. Florida did a really good job of this. Obviously, New York did not. Mm-hmm. And so we let that happen and the rest of us go our own merry way. And then we can all make our own decisions. And that to me sounds like it probably would have been more reasonable because at the end of the day, not only is it mostly older people and then also obese people who end up dying of coronavirus, but we've just taken from school age kids a critical year of their development in in so many states across this country and the last i looked at it there were fewer than 150 people in the united states who had died of coronavirus who were under the age of 18 wow nationally we're talking three people three kids per state died from this thing and i I just it blows my mind when we think about the long-term damage even the most rosy picture of the long-term damage, when we look at these sorts of things, how it could possibly be worth it, at least to that generation. And if that's the case, how do you wrestle with the ethics of that? Is it actually fair to steal from the youngest generation to help the oldest generation? Because that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't square easily. Right. No. No, it's terrible. And and you know, you've heard these people have compared this to a war for you know, they're like front lines yeah. and, you know, all of this. Well, in a war effort, you protect the vulnerable and you put, you know, those who are capable of fighting on the front line. Well, in this instance, you protect the vulnerable, like you said, and they're <laughs> yeah. not working anyway. And then you let everyone else go back to work. And that's actually the front line. Like the front line's not necessarily the nurse. I know they like patting themselves on the back and, and whatever, <laughs> Yeah, but um, the front line in this instance, you know, is the, the people that are running the economy. And yeah, because it's pretty hard to get medical care when your currency, you know, inflates and, you know, eventually maybe implodes. Um, Right. Like the the deaths that could be caused from this where I mean, we are at least in a recession right now, or at least, you know, sort of slinking into a recession right now, if not, maybe a Mm -hmm. depression. And you know, we, we did a lot of dumb things like we printed and that, you know, Trump has plenty of blame to go here, but our plenty of totally. blame can be directed to him, but we printed money while the economy was good. You know, even the modern monetary theorists, you know, wackos, yeah. even they think that you're supposed to print your way out of bad stuff, not good stuff. You know, not, you're supposed to print your way out of bad times, not the good times, right? Well, we were printing during the good times. So yeah, exactly. It just trouble. doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, and that's the thing. And it's trouble that will be diffuse across everyone, right? Everyone will suffer and it, for the expense of the, the few, which it just doesn't make sense to me. Also, I was wrong. It's 309 deaths to date under 17. 
Okay. So that's about six per state. Um, and, and for context, that's a little less than half of the number of kids who died this year from pneumonia. And I would wow. imagine that in an average, that's probably substantially less than the average number of people under 17 who die from things like flu or croup or whatever year mm. in and year out. Like it is, it is a rounding error in under 18 deaths. And it's also death with COVID. I know that this has yeah. been kind of beaten to death. Also but a good it's, point. It's true. You know, mm-hmm. um, we had a guy in Idaho uh, getting a motorcycle wreck, you know, <laughs> and they, they called it a COVID death or labeled it as a COVID death. It's like, well, he died because he hit the pavement going 75 miles an hour. <laughs> like, yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Some tells me it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't anything you might've had kicking around his lungs. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to say that, you know, his reduced lung capacity impaired him. <laughs> or so, I mean, you know, you gotta, yeah. there's a, you gotta do a lot to square that up, but, but yeah. So a lot of these deaths are, you know, dubious as well. And I'm not, you know, I'm not even like trying to deny, I I'm definitely not a COVID denier. I hate when they say that, but yeah, you know, of course it yeah. exists, but it does seem to be inflated. And then like here you have them saying that they saved a hundred million people worldwide with lockdowns. So what is, was this IMHE saying that the people that said we were going to lose 4 million? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, who, like who, where is this Amazing. number coming from? Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, it's probably like in many senses, like for any real sense, it's probably made up. Like, you're probably extrapolating would be death rates in a way that doesn't, like, in a way that doesn't, like, it's funny math, right? It's you're you're making up numbers. That's what I'm guessing. I don't know. I I, I gotta go through the study probably, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I not to get you know, I everyone I get accused of conspiracy stuff just for thinking. I'm not even saying this is true, but. If you just change the framework of everything that we did um, for, you know, everything that the government did rather for uh, COVID and you say, well, what if it was really about climate change? Then it makes a whole bunch more sense. It makes way more sense, you know, and I'm not saying that that's what it was. It's just like, you know, okay, like shutting down the economy, reducing consumption, you know, and uh, re- reducing the amount of travel that's happening, all this, it makes a lot of sense if you frame it in that context. And if you thought right. that the world was going to end in 12 years, if you didn't do something or nine years now, if you didn't do something about it, like what wouldn't you do to save the world? And in fact, if you were certain yep. that this was going to happen, then you'd be wrong yes. not to. Exactly. It would be, it would be mortally unconscionable for you to do anything else. Right. right. That's the framing. Yes. And like I say, I'm not saying that's what this was, but, you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I'd be lying if I had said that it, 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 the thought didn't occur to me every time, you know? Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I just, I, I, I think I really, really struggle with how are we ever, and I hope that people really do endeavor to weigh all these things out, but how are we ever going to figure out a way to balance these sorts of things? And will we ever have a good way of doing it? And I hope, I, I really, really, truly hope that we do. But at the end of the day, like I remember I was, I was looking at some of the numbers the other day and what was it? It said that some like more than 50% of, uh, I'm spitballing numbers here, but like some astronomical percentage of millennials put on weight during the, during the pandemic. Fine. Makes sense. But that I remember seeing the average weight gain was like 30 pounds, Holy cow! which is just inconceivable to me. Yeah. But I remember I looked at that and I was like, okay, like, is someone going to figure out what that means for excess deaths from 
diabetes and from hypertension and from heart disease and from all the other consequences of obesity. Like, is someone hopefully going to go through and run those numbers? Because those are real lives that are really going to be taken from us as a result of, of this lockdown. And, and I just I worry these things are going to get lost in the noise after all this is over. I think you're right. And a, a, a better way to do it, in my opinion, would be instead of counting just deaths, you know, like ones and zeros deaths, go like lo- um, loss of years, you know. So yeah, if a right, 75 year old right. guy dies, that's five years. If a 35 year old guy dies, that's, you know, 40 years, roughly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then if someone develops diabetes, that's going to remove X amount of years from the end of their life. You know, let's just say 13. And, you know, if you, if you did it this way, I I think there's probably no chance that, you know, the, 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 the loss of life wouldn't, or loss of quality of life and lifespan wouldn't be greater. You know, uh, the number would be higher because of shutdowns than for not having him, you know, like bigger than the COVID death, the loss of, like I'm having a very hard time articulating this as you can tell, but I think that the, the years lost to COVID would be yep. much less than the years lost to all of these other factors. Totally. And this is a way that we, I think very frequently do um, like, we do think about life that way, right? Like, what is it? Like, uh, there's that's the term something adjusted life years. Um, okay. God, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it now. But so the, the framework you're discussing is a way that we very often think about um, like like legal settlements, right? If you have someone who who dies because of an accident who's 20 or gets maimed or injured or what have you, the way we think about paying out those settlements, quality adjusted life years. That's the, oh, okay. the yeah. way that the way that we think about these things are not because it's hard, right? Like it's a morally hard question to try and grapple with what mm-hmm. it like what one life one year of life means to one person versus another. But at the end of the day, like we have we have a way to do this. And we have a way that like our legal system and, and I think by extension, our ethical mentality, at least in this country, thinks about these sorts of things. And I think that if you were to apply it to the way that we've done lockdowns, um, it would be, I mean, I don't think you could square that circle. I think it would be in, unconscionable what we have done and the decisions that we have made when we apply the normal sorts of frameworks we usually use because of a knee-jerk fear-induced reaction. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I think that you're right. I, I can't imagine that not being correct. Like, it, it's just hard to even come up with a scenario where COVID would outweigh, you know, all these other things. And I guess yeah. that kind of brings me back to Fauci. It they just barely before we jumped on announced that his book was being pulled. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, I just one of these really news things. I I don't you know it's as true. It's from breaking nine one one. So who the heck knows? Because they get stuff wrong. But it says developing Anthony Fauci's forthcoming book. Expect the unexpected. Oh, I just love that. I mean, it just like it it sounds like a troll, right? Like it, <laughs> like the whole thing really, really does earnestly sound like he's trolling us. It does. And it's it, this the, the, that before this sentence is just great. Uh his forthcoming book, <sighs> Expect the Unexpected, has been removed from pre-order <laughs> from all major online booksellers. Yeah. I bet he didn't expect that. Amazing. <laughs> yeah I, yeah right truly and i mean listen part of me doesn't want to say this out loud but i will anyway like if it's following the cuomo cycle on this we're, we're what maybe a week away from credible sexual harassment allegations? <laughs> like it's, it's, 
it seems very neatly to I, I say just <laughs> obviously, but it seems like it's 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 fitting a pattern that we have seen before of the undoing of a man made into a saint on all of this stuff. And so I, uh, you know, unfortunately, the conspiracy theorists have, have really carried the day the last year or so. And so I, who knows, who knows where it's going to go from here. I so we're, don't. Well, I think we're going to get some Epstein Island pictures at some point. <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, if, if like, if the trajectory holds, it's the only thing you could possibly expect. Again, expect the unexpected. Never trust someone that can miss a catcher by 35 feet, you know, like that should have been the end of his career right there. You know, like how can you grow up as an American boy and you can't get in the, you know, the, the realm or, you know, within five feet of the catcher, I I could forgive that, you know? Yeah. And why would you even do it? Right. I remember I thought and I was like, just sit out. Like I would be like, I just had Tommy John surgery. People were like, no, you didn't. I'd be like, I don't have to tell you. I just had Tommy John surgery. At least I, I physically doctor's orders. I cannot do this for the next 18 months. I would hide. I would, I would go into hiding before I allowed my, that to happen to me. I've watched that video a thousand times and I cringe every time I see it. I know it's it, unthinkable, but in a, in a certain way, it shows you how Fauci sees himself like, like in that he can't see himself, you know, cause a normal person, like he must just not be capable of shame. Right. Cause a normal person could never no, like, no way. Like you're saying, I, I would die of embarrassment. I would, I would commit seppuku right there. In yeah. the middle, you know, and that's but. the thing too. Like I remember, like God, I was uh, the, one of the emails, or uh, I don't actually know if it was in one of the emails, but the one of the components of the write up from Washington Post was about how Fauci was confused about the um, the like how he was getting so much attention. He was like concerned by all the attention he was getting, or something. Uh-huh. which like if you haven't been alive for the last 14 months would be believable right like <laughs> like it, it makes sense to me that like that, listen like there's I, I still think the best reporting that came out during the entirety of the coronavirus pandemic was a piece in new york mag that compared the response in seattle versus the response in new york city and one of the big things that this piece talks about is it, um, it it talks about the role of public health officials and how they can instill confidence and and one of the key points it talks about is if you are a, a public official, a public health official, your job is to stay above the fray and out of out, one out of the spotlight and two out of politics. And mm. like and so, again, like if you didn't know what Fauci has been up to the last 14 months, totally believable that he would be concerned about these sorts of things. But then you see him posting like sitting down and doing photo shoots for magazines and covers left and right. And it's like, right. dude, like it's it. it it beggars belief that you actually think this way because surely you would have conducted yourself otherwise for the last year and a half. Like what? Like what? What doesn't add up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just very clearly full of crap. Right. And I, I mean, I think we all know that. And you know, when you see one lie, it's hard not to see a hundred others. And you know, yeah, like, that's kind of Fauci. And I still think, with them allowing these emails, there has to be a reason that they're allowing these emails to come out. I know we talked about that a little bit, but I, I still think there's got to be because the left doesn't sacrifice people for no reason. Like, look at how they defended Cuomo That's a really until good after the, you know, till after the election. So there's got to be something, something else coming down the pike here that they know is going to come out and they need a scapegoat, a sacrificial lamb, you know? Yeah. 
they're gonna yeah, blame whatever too, like, that I is remember, on him. Yeah, I, I I remember I saw something the other day. Um, uh, what was it like a, a similar uh, you know along those lines? And I, I got to thinking about it. I was like, man, could this just be like could this be a good sign that it's curtains for Fauci? Right? There was a big push. I I'm sure I resisted it when it first happened, but it eventually came around to it. Like the idea of firing Fauci, I think obviously caught on a lot among Republicans, and I think even among some Democrats. And at some point, even if it's not fire Fauci, like they're part of the problem with this whole coronavirus in my view is there's never really much of an exit strategy right <laughs> which is a, a typical american right. blunder right it's, it's iraq afghanistan all over again it's, totally. we've got we've got no idea what to do when this thing is done and we never really thought about what we do when it was done it's all about fighting hitting the, hitting the five meter targets and so at what point do you get the doctor off of television like i don't want this guy going through and listing all the other cdc restrictions right i don't want someone shoving it in my face that i should have my steak cooked at least medium well because i'm not going to do that i have no interest in ever doing that right and so like and and no one else does and so at some point we have to be able to get i think as a society we have to be able to get to a point where we say okay in the same way where you tell me I can only have one drink a day and I got to cook my steak until it's, it's black the whole way through, I am not interested in what the CDC has to say about this thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are a lot of people really resistant to apply that same sort of mentality um, to, to this issue. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And one of the things that one of the emails that I read was from January 31st of 2020. And this person that was emailing Fauci, it was Kristen something. I'm sure you saw this one. Uh, Let me pull it up really quick. Uh, Kristen G. Anderson. Um, And the subject line is science, mining coronavirus genomes for clues to outbreaks origins. In this email, they say very clearly. Now, remember, this is January 31st of last year. They say very mm-hmm. clearly that it shows signs that make make it look like it did not originate naturally in the in the wild. January of last year. Yeah. So, you know, for yeah. him him to be like doing this thing where he goes, anyone who questions the origins of this is basically works for Infowars is just absurd. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing too, is that like, you know, it's at it would be one thing before these emails came out, right? It was one thing to say. Oh, they jumped the gun and they they made a, a hasty decision on this whole this whole Wuhan lab leak thing, right? And that's something that I'm at least somewhat sympathetic to. But I think what what the or or would have been sympathetic to if that were the truth. But I think it really becomes so much darker now that we know that they also were like believing that this could be a possibility all along, right? Like it, it would be one thing if they were just like, ah, this is stupid, and they wrote it off, and that would be terrible decision making, put lots of lives at risk, right? A lot of serious consequences or something that but the fact that they didn't do it and made it sound as if they have actually i think makes it substantially more bad i agree and you know you can't discount the fact that we were in a quote-unquote trade war with china and Uh china shut down travel within china but they did not shut down travel outside of china and if you are trying to get a virus to the two i'm not saying they released it as a bioweapon what i'm saying is you know uh if you know life gives you lemons make lemonade well <laughs> a great way to get a virus to new york city is to get a bunch of people in mulan uh sick and right before you know this big 
entertain what, what do they call it a big fashion show thing right yeah, yeah 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 so you get a bunch of people sick there you know flights are going between new york the biggest city in america and uh uh-huh. you know that that normandy or not normandy whatever that region norm whatever region that is in italy um you know yeah oh yeah, yeah. I know so, so you get travel going back and forth well you're infecting people in new york and once it's in new york it's going to spread throughout the whole country no question yeah Right. And the rest of the world. I mean, come on, it's, it's the biggest, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's, it's the busiest or I actually take it back. I think it's actually the second busiest, um, maybe it's specific to airport, but still you've got tons and tons of people from all across the country and all around the world. And if you've got flights going to all these different places nationwide and otherwise, like the, the thing spreads really, really quickly. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Right. I, so again, like there's the like, way that these things have aged, like they were bad. They would have been bad. To, to live with and understand even if they had told us the truth yeah, but it's, right. you know it they, i will say like at the end of the day they have done the the powers that be have done a really really poor job of squashing conspiracy theories um and and the insistence on continuing to lie and omit information is not going to help like if, if you're if you're actually concerned about misinformation and disinformation starting with a little bit of the facts would probably be a good way to address that yeah, I mean, the, you're, I mean, it's .gov, so like whatever they do, they're going to be absolutely <laughs> yeah. terrible at. So it, it's like not shocking, but I do feel like, you know, another metaphor that I hate, but I, I do feel like we have seen behind the curtain in a way that, like, I, I just don't think there's any going back from this. Like the people that have noticed yeah. and have yep. seen this, I don't think yep. there's any going back. I think it's over. Totally, yeah. You can't unring a bell like this. I mean, like, I, I think people have long been skeptical of the U.S. government for all sorts of different reasons, but there can't be anything as dramatic as this, right? There's nothing, not even 9-11. There's nothing, I don't think, close to as dramatic as the last year of what we've lived through and the role that the government played in all of it. And so if, it, I think what it really comes down to is if they're willing to lie to you about this, then is there really anything where you would think through, ah, no, this would be a bridge too far? Right. That's that exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's not as if this is the first time we've caught them lying. It's just the biggest lie we've ever caught them in. Right. I yeah, mean, exactly. And in, and in, in technicolor, right. I mean, like it's, it, they've been, I think caught like truly red handed on so much of this stuff in a way that it, it doesn't, like it doesn't exactly take a PhD to figure out how, how bad this kind of stuff is. Yeah. And so I think there's room for a sort of, uh, for hope here you know, the, the internet meme is white pill or whatever, but I do think there's room for that in this because the more Americans that distrust their government, the better, in my opinion, Like Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. should be distrustful. And I brought this up on a different show as well, but a trend that I have noticed is that more people are referring to themselves as Idahoans first, rather than Americans. And same, same is true of like, you know, Texans have always done this, but you know, others, Utahns are doing the same. These are just the people that I'm around. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So they're starting to identify in the more, what is actually the traditional American way, you know, as a, say a Virginian first or, a, you know, whatever New Hampshire people call themselves and, you know, Connecticut's not a real New state, Hampshireites but, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. As a former Connecticut resident, I'm, I'm there with you on that one for sure. <laughs> so yeah. What, what the Canadians, you know, um, but yeah i do think that that's actually a positive trend and i think that this is only going to expedite that process because 
you know, uh, Breitbart's fam- fr- uh, famous thing, politics is downstream of culture. I tend to think Tom Woods is more correct. It's like sometimes that's true, but more often culture is downstream of politics. And right now, the move or that's the movement that is happening is so big. And so, like you like you said, technical in technicolor, that it's like mm-hmm. impossible to avoid. And we might have worked ourselves into a position where culture or politics really this time might be downstream of culture and that could be really good a lot of people want to go back to a more federalist system and the first way that you do that is for people in colorado to identify as coloradans first you know right and i think it's probably the other i think the other big benefit for something like this is i think it's a really natural way to get people to believe that someone other than the federal government should be there to save the day. <laughs> right. So I think that's a, that's a mentality that's totally caught on among, uh, among Republicans too, to use the federal government as, as either a cudgel or, a, um, you know, as, as the, the adult handing out candy on, on Halloween. And so I think the more that we can move away from that, the better. And I think this could be a valuable culture shift to start thinking about that differently. Yes, I agree. And the, the rise of, uh, journalists like more independent journalists like yourself or i know julio he's a friend of mine but he he works for you know i know he works for town hall but even the stuff that julio is doing is is made like big impacts you know and the guys yeah. at the daily caller and all this so they're like the power center within journalism is shifting back to the actual journalists doing work which is going to be really important i think too rather yeah. than just having a cnn logo next to your head it's really what you're doing you know, right. And it changes the incentive, which I think to me is, is mm-hmm. really, really important is that at the end of the day, like one of the problems to me is as someone who really does, and I, I certainly don't have it out for the mainstream media, I think <laughs> relative to most conservatives. Um, but like I, I am in some interesting ways, I think probably more sympathetic than most conservatives are to, to mainstream outlets, but individual reporters have a series of really awful incentives that often I think lead them to do bad things. And so the more that we can get away from a series of incentives that um, create bad outcomes on these sorts of things and force people to fit in. And you know, one of the things I think with journalists too is if you, if you were a journalist, right? If you were a young person who's committed to going into journalism, then it is really, really risky to make enemies who are up the chain from you because they can ruin your life, not just at wherever you are now, but they can blackball you. It's a, it, it's, I don't know, whatever, whatever you call an old boys club when it's, it's full of young people and women too, but like, it's like a, it's like a high school click. And so um, it's super, super risky. And so that makes it a super strong incentive to not be the nail that sticks out. And so I think the more that we can get to people who are going direct to whoever their consumers are, the more we can avoid those sorts of traps and the more truly independent perspective and evaluation and I, I think non-biased and impartial perspective we're going to get on so many of these things at a time where we desperately need it. Absolutely. And just quality is going to go up as well. You can, yeah. there's, an, there's another test case for this. Um, one of the reasons that uh, comedy was so terrible in the 80s and 90s, particularly the, yeah. the 90s, is because, you know, Seinfeld and some of these other shows started to get big. And then everyone in comedy's goal was to get on a sitcom. That's how you knew you made it. Well, before that, yeah, it was to be like Richard Pryor, you know, um, and that that thing shifted sometime around five or six years ago, well, maybe 10 years ago, it shifted again because, you know, Netflix and all of this were starting to, uh, and even just YouTube, actually, people were starting to get uh, 
a modicum of success on their own. And then it became like, well, I don't, I don't, not only do I not need a talk show or excuse me, a, a sitcom, I don't want one. I'd rather just right. keep doing this. Like the comics didn't want to do that, but they were, you know, the bad ones did because they're just chasing money. And so now you're seeing yeah. like pretty good comedy again. I know a lot of people are saying that it sucks right now. And so I just think you're not looking in the right place. There, there are people out there that are hilarious, you know, very funny. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. And again, because you change the incentives. And so I think the more that we can do that away from bad things, the more we're all going to be helped in all of this. And you're right. Like, I, I think it has a, a, a very immediate and obvious impact on quality. Yes. I mean, look at just podcasting. Like, say you're, uh, I don't know, someone like Tim Dillon, who's got a great big podcast and is a, a very funny guy. If you're Tim Dillon, you, there's no, I mean, I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth. I don't know him, but if I'm Tim Dillon, if I'm in Tim Dillon's position, rather, you would have to bring me an absurd amount of money for me to give up what I'm doing to go do your stupid lame sitcom where I have to, you know, totally. be like TV pure, you know? And yeah. I do think like journalism can do this, like Substack, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but things like Substack might help, you know, well, you know what? Look at Matt Taibbi. He left uh, yeah, Rolling Stone bingo. and he's freaking killing it on Substack. Killing yeah. it. Right. And he doesn't have to, to worry about his, the minders and his editors he had before. Right. I think one of my, one of my favorite examples, who's obviously not necessarily a figure beloved among the right, but it, it's Matt Iglesias mm. who is like, I mean, he took, he took a deal with Substack. So he used to be at Vox. He founded Vox. And then he basically got run out of town because he's got all these young, edgy, there were like complaints that he was like insufficiently trans supportive. I, I don't know what all, but like truly like he like got all these HR complaints from some a journalist making six figures in their late twenties because he just like, didn't, didn't like something. They had like a beef or something. I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what the details on it are. But oh so gosh. you end up in these situations where you have people who like have an enormous amount of talent and that there, there's an audience for that. There are people for that. So Substack is like, wow, I bet if we had someone smart and thoughtful, who knows what matters and has a huge audience like Matt Iglesias, I bet it would be worth it if we paid him $150,000 and gave him an editor and a fact checker and a proofreader and just let him write for us and do whatever he wants. And so he goes, gets paid 150 grand. And not only does he kill it, like it's a one-year contract, he ends up making, uh, making Substack so much more because of how many people mm -hmm. signed up for his newsletter. And so do you, do you want to guess how much money he would have made if he hadn't taken the deal and just went to Substack? And I mean, obviously there's other complications, but if he just had the number of subscribers he has now and wasn't on this contract that says he is capped in terms of how much he gets paid, you want to guess how much he would have made? Um, I bet you that guy's making, I bet he's making around 25 grand a month off of that. So yeah. Okay. So so that's around three hundred. So that would be what? It'd be three hundred k. He he would be making if he again if he didn't take the deal from Substack that capped his pay, he would be making about nine hundred thousand dollars from Substack. Ooh, right, like he'd be making an absurd. But here's the thing: he can go, he can stay on Substack after the one year contract is up and just make like an obscene amount of money because right. people like what he has to say. And so you know, for a long time people like him and yeah, like I like AB, like they, they were squashed because there was a, a line and a series of incentives between reader and writer and Substack narrows that to a vanishing point. And so if people 
want to pay for the thing that you want to say, you can be ignored. Like I can only imagine how much money Glenn Greenwald is making on Substack. But I guarantee you that no magazine in the country, like (laughs) the New York Times could probably let their entire opinion board go and give all of the money that they are making this year and give it to Greenwald and he might make more on Substack. That is you know, and so like these it's like a, a super good way to make lots and lots of money if again like capitalism at its finest if people are buying what you're selling and you know you know what's so interesting about glenn greenwald is he has a lot of support from the right and yeah you know the left will always say well this is how you know he's not sufficiently left right he's not left enough yeah. because the right likes him that's not true people on the right like that guy because they think that he's being genuine <clears throat> that's all it yeah. is yeah He's just being genuine. I, I enjoy Glenn Greenwald. I, I used to me too. like, he used to bother me a little bit and I've started reading more and now I'm like, no, this guy, like, I don't agree with his politics. Like I'm not a socialist. Right. So I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. agree with his politics, but I, I think he's genuine and honest and that's all we're looking for. Like, that's all I need from you. Right. That's it. And I think, and I think conservatives, ooh, I'm, I'm going to scare myself saying this and I might, I might, I might retract this statement if in 30 <laughs> seconds I realize that I'm, I'm full of it. But I think one of the things that conservatives actually tend to do better, at least lately than liberals is they can co- compartmentalize people a little bit better. Right. And that, like, I think there are more conservatives who are willing to read liberals who agree with them on a, or at least write in a way they find convincing and compelling. Um, in a way that a lot of liberals aren't, right? And the, the same forces that ran people like Barry Weiss out of the New York Times, I don't think they actually exist as strongly, at least among the right. And that there's always going to be interest for those guys like Greenwald, even if he, you know, he's he's basically an out and out socialist, because the things that he spends his time talking about are one, like I think he's brilliant, but two, like I think he writes in a way that is compelling. And he's compelling in a way that obviously fits a conservative worldview on a particular topic. And so I think conservatives would be like, okay, like whatever, like I, I, maybe I don't agree with all the stuff he did about Snowden, but man, is he right? Is he smack dead on about the media in a way that I am, in, I am hanging on every word he writes because of it. Absolutely. And I don't think the left does that very well. I think there's like, the, to me, this is the same sort of forces that underpin cancel culture. It's, it's, there's like a little bit of a vendetta and a blood feud around certain people. Barry Weiss, to me, being one of the more obvious names, they really got it out for Brett Stevens and a few others of these writers, Justice Singal. Like they they hate them no matter what, and they hate them for whatever their perceived slight is. And so the idea that they could hate someone and agree with them sometimes, I think, is a really hard thing for a lot of the most outspoken left wing people on Twitter to be able to conceptualize. Yes. And another reason why they go after people like uh, Glenn Greenwald is because he's a gay man living in Brazil and people on the right have embraced him to a degree. You know, he's on Tucker a lot yeah. and people have decided they like him. And if pe- if those nasty conservative Christians, you know, are seen to be fine, like more tolerant than the left, really, um, yeah. you know, that it's a it's a paradigm breaker you know um yeah. shatters their little kaleidoscope you know what i mean um right exactly and their own personal worldview right like it like if man if they had to actually accept that that could be true if it might be the left that's intolerant oh boy that's going to be a really tough pill to swallow for a lot of these folks right yeah i've said this before but what what happens on the left and it happens on the right too, but I think it happens more on the left is they come to a position like this where their reality is being challenged. And once your reality is challenged, you have to either accept that you were wrong 
And, you know, if that's the case, then you've got a lot of work to do. And I mean, like big mm-hmm. work because mm-hmm. they, that, their worldview is what is orienting them. They, you know, they don't have a religion. They don't have, well, the religion is politics, I would argue, but they don't have a religion yeah. outside of that. So like it is actually the, the sort of their rudder. Right. So if right, that's a good way to put it. So better to be on the ocean um, with a rudder than without. So instead of, you know, let's say we're on the ocean and a storm is coming instead of being in the position where, you know, you have to, you know, okay. So what you could do is do the work and, you know, say, okay, I guess I was wrong. I've got to turn around and correct course. There's a storm out there. I was wrong, whatever. Like this is an important perfect right. metaphor, but instead of doing that, they just say, no, we're just going to keep, you know, uh, uh, on the same course oriented where we're going. And eventually that fails. Right. So I, I guess it's, it's, I can, I'm a little bit sympathetic because I understand mm-hmm. how difficult that would be. You know, if you were challenged that deeply on something, it, it's not going right. to be easy. It's all, it, it is truly like leaving a religion, which is not. Yeah, easy it is. And, and I think, you know, bringing it back to the COVID stuff too. I think the other reason why it's so hard right now is that it becomes even harder when you apply it to the most consequential thing any of us have been alive for the discourse through, mm-hmm. right? Like if you, if you fervently, firmly believed everything the CDC was saying throughout the duration of this pandemic, like you have lived the last 14 months of your life in a way that is really different and a lot worse. And so the idea that you could have done that and also potentially been a miserable jerk to lots and lots of people, Mm -hmm. like the idea that you would do that all for not is really hard pill to swallow uh, in a way that I don't, I just don't think the average person right, left or center is particularly good at, at, at turning back. Yeah. Yeah. So the cognitive dissonance is to be expected, but I, I think that that's why you're seeing people lash out the way that they are. They're angry because now the evidence is so overwhelming that they have to confront it. And when they confront it, they find out that everything that they have believed and everything that they have done has been for naught, And, uh, that, that worse, worse, even than that, that the people that they hate were right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good part of it too. Like, it, it, like the idea that you know, I think this is why the the, the lab league stuff is, is so hard for so many people because it's not like for folks on the left, it's not just oh no, we were wrong about this thing. It's oh no, Tom Cotton was right about this. <laughs> exactly right. right. And they, they yes, can't, they can't stand that idea, right? <laughs> the 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 idea that that all of these people who they think are know nothings and anti science and anti this and anti that, like the idea that they got the jump on them on something this important and this consequential, like, uh, uh-uh, that does, that, that definitely does not sit well. Right. Yes. And it, it would truly be earth shattering for a person like that. Truly. I mean, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, especially since look at all of the things that they, they called those people, you know, Nazi conspiracy theorists, you know, Alex Jones adjacent, all of this stuff yeah. and it turns out to have been true. It's like, well, <laughs> like now what, you know, Right. And is there a what, right? Like, is like, in some ways, I really do think like, it's got to be easier to just ignore it and just write it off and just pretend it's not there. It's not real or or what have you. But because it's a religion, instead, what they will do is sacrifice somebody. And I think Fauci is the one that's about to be sacrificed. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be toast, right? Like after this, like, there's no, I don't think you can come back. I don't think anyone 
can come back from this would be my hunch but who knows maybe he survives again but the, the only person that could survive something like this um lost the last election so <laughs> like, <laughs> <that guy. laughs> that's, uh, that's a very good point he would have been okay he would he would have come through this virtually unscathed <laughs> yeah yeah see that's what people just need to adopt the trump mentality where <laughs> they just don't care yeah, about so anything true. like whatever but yeah but in in that's this so case true. it's like you know you you actually may have not just killed people but ruined lives you know and yeah like there's a, a body count attached to this and that's that's a hard thing for anyone to be able to stomach i think absolutely well that might be a good place to lose it we're coming up on an hour right now so um why don't you tell everybody where to find you and uh yeah, yeah. man absolutely well first off thank you for having me on uh, and second off at least at least for now best place to find me continues to be on twitter I'm at Drew Holden 360. That's where you can find all the threads and, and any various writing. I tend to, I tend to tweet out. One of these days, I'm going to make myself a website that I can direct folks to. But for now, it's, it's the old Twitter machine. Man, you got to get a website. I What's know, up? and it's on my it's on my to do list. This is one of the things <laughs> I was going to do over the long weekend. There's a lot of things that over over this past weekend that I told myself were going to get done, and you know, man, they they just didn't happen. One of these <laughs> days, one of these one of these weekends, I'll get to it story of my life man i totally get it all right drew holden 360 on twitter thanks for coming on man i really appreciate it pleasure's mine man appreciate you having me on yep always good to talk to you see you man i want to say thanks again to drew for coming on and letting us kind of pick his brain it's really that fauci stuff is just wild in retrospect you know it's now it's been months and not a lot has changed which is weird you heard us in there speculating that the guy almost has to go down and i really still think he will eventually but it is bizarre that he's still there. I'm not going to lie to you. A couple people, well, several people have been asking how they can support the show more. One really easy way, and it's going to sound cheesy as hell, but it's not. One really easy way to support the show is to go follow people like Drew and interact with them on social media so that they know that it's actually beneficial for them to come on shows like this. Now, obviously I have a pretty friendly relationship with Drew, but it will make it easier to get other people that I don't have you know, me and Drew are not like best buddies, but we get along okay. And, you know, it'll make it easier to get other people on that are bigger names. And that's what we really want to kind of do for y'all and just have interesting discussions. So go follow him and talk to him. Tell him you heard him here. And it's at Drew Holden 360 on Twitter. Thanks again, y'all. See you next week.